You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. All right, so Luke chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1, and I'll read down to verse 14. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the end. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let's pray together one more time. Father, we come to you now in a season where more than any other season, I think we should be experiencing hope and joy and peace and love, but honestly, I think sometimes in this season we kind of find ourselves in a funk, and uh, we think about the things that are not in our lives, and um, maybe even some right now they come into this room and they're distracted or they're frustrated, they're lonely, they're hurt, Um, some are desperate for you to break into their lives, and so we just need you to do that right now. There's nothing I can say, I can't yell loud enough or compile a sermon that's good enough to change hearts. And so I just right now, before the people in this room, just acknowledge that we need you, Holy Spirit. We need you to do what only you can do. And so we did not get up early and wrestle with all of our kids to come here and simply check something off of our list. We do not want an empty religion. We want a relationship with you that will transform our lives. And so we ask that you'll do that right now. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. On Monday morning, I woke up from a dream that honestly has haunted me all week long. And I won't go into all of the details, but basically the gist of the dream went like this. I was having some issues with my health and went to several different medical clinics. And after a series of tests, a doctor walked in the room and said, well, I've got some bad news. Um, Your heart's not working right. And I was like, okay, well, what do you mean my heart's not working right? And he said, well, basically because of stress that you're internalizing in your life because of fears and anxiety that you have not been able to let go of, 4% of your heart has stopped working. And if you can't get a grasp on your stress, if you can't somehow find some kind of peace in your life, that 4% is going to go from 4% to 40% and 40% to 100% to where eventually your heart's just not going to work. I mean, you're going to be alive, but you're not going to really have a heart that functions the way it's supposed to function. And after he said that, I woke up, and honestly, I mean, I was just, I was sweating, I felt nauseous, and and this dream, I think the reason it has bothered me all week long 
is because it really hits close to home for me. And what I mean by that is, like each of you in the room today, like I long to live a full, wholehearted life. Like I long to have a heart that is filled with hope and love and joy. However, because, if I can just be honest with you, because my life can often be given to stress and anxiety, there are times where I feel like that my heart is just going to be overcome by the cares of the world. And I'm guessing I'm not alone today. Um, For some of you, you sit here right now and you're in debt up to your eyeballs. For others, uh, you have unanswered prayers that have caused you to doubt the faithfulness of God. While others, maybe you have health concerns or family responsibilities that are weighing you down. Um, For others in here, you have a situation at work that is stressing you out. And then to, to make matters worse, you enter into a Christmas season that reminds you not of what all you have, but what all you don't have. For some of you, you don't have that person in your life who you love so much that you wish was there with you this Christmas season. For some of you, you don't have kids yet. For some, you don't have a spouse. For some, you don't have the money to afford to get your kids the gifts that they're asking for because they see all their other friends are getting those things. Then on top of that, because our culture just really has tried to turn the meaning of Christmas upside down and make it so busy and chaotic, you have all of these deadlines to meet and commitments to keep. And so as a result, the stress levels that you already have in your life during the Christmas season, those don't go down. They just go up. And maybe for some of you this morning, though you look good on the outside, if you can just be honest, you feel like maybe you're in over your head and that you're going to go under because of all of the stress and anxiety. And if that's where you find yourself today, I've got good news for you. I really believe I have a word from the Lord for for you that is found right here in this Christmas account in Luke's gospel. And so if you look with me again, I'm just going to kind of start in verse 8, and we'll read down through verse 14. But in verse 8, we start, and again, it says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, right? Which is always the way someone responds when they see an angel. I mean, they're these terrifying holy figures, right? And the angel said to the shepherds, Fear not. For behold, I bring you the good news of great joy that is for all the people. Now, I just want to stop right here, and let's just recognize for one moment how incredible this is. That by God's design, he could have done this any way he wanted, but in in his grand plan of all the people that God could have shared this good news of great joy with, of all the people that he could announce the birth of Christ to, notice in this passage, he doesn't go to the wealthy, He doesn't go to the popular. He doesn't go to the morally upright, but he brings his message to a group of shepherds. Now, I'm guessing most of us in here are not experts on shepherds, okay? Unless you like grew up in Montana or wherever they have shepherds. Um, But basically, what you need to know is this, is that the shepherds were a group of men who in the first century were social outcasts at best. I mean, these are men who had reputations for being liars and thieves. They were considered to be so morally unclean that literally they could not testify in the court of law. I mean, these are men who fundamentally were rejected by first century Jews because they were considered to be outside of the covenant promises of God. They were considered to be so filthy and unwanted. They were beyond the grace of God. And yet... These are the people God chooses to deliver the good news of great joy to. 
And so I just want to encourage you this morning. If there's no better reason to get out of bed, this is a good reason for you right here. Listen, if you walk into the room today and you feel like you don't belong here because of all the sin in your life, if you walk in here and you don't feel like you are good enough, if you feel like you are broken beyond repair or you are spiritually bankrupt, what you need to know is you are not beyond the grace of God. But actually, your brokenness sets you up to receive the grace of God. And we see that right here in this passage. The angels come and they say, fear not. Behold, we bring you good news of great joy that is for all people. And then in verse 11, it says, for unto you this day is born a child in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And he says, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was with an angel of multitude of heavenly hosts. They were praising God. They were singing. They were saying, look at verse 14. This is where I want to spend our time this morning. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, what's the next word? Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, of all of the Christmas passages that are out there, I think this is the most famous Christmas passage. And out of this passage, this verse is probably the most famous Christmas verse. And out of the words in this verse, this word peace, I think is the most famous Christmas word that we have. So we're very familiar with the word peace, but here's my question. What exactly do the angels mean when they say that, that Jesus was born to bring us peace on earth? I and mean, what is the kind of peace that we really can experience that Jesus brings for us right here and right now? And if I can just be as simple as I know how to be, what I believe the angels are talking about here is that when Jesus was born, he was born so that we can have a peace with God that paves the way for us to have peace with ourselves and equips us to have peace with others. Jesus was born, what we're going to see this morning, so that we can have a peace with God that paves the way for us to have peace with ourselves and equips us to make peace with others. And here's what I mean by that. I just want to kind of break that down um, one by one. First off, when I say that Jesus was born so that you can have peace with God, I'm making the assumption based off of what I read in scriptures, that you and I are not born at peace with God. Um, and, and here's probably the best way you can think about this. When you think about your sin, think about your sin as if, as if you think about the nation that you were born into. For example, I was born in the United States of America. Did I choose which country I was born into? No, I didn't get to be like, you know, when I was in my mom's belly, like, I think I'll take Africa or I'll take Asia. Or, right? like, like, I was born into the United States of America and I had nothing to do with that. And, and, and on one hand, you could say, well, that's not fair. But on the other hand, you can say, okay, whether it's fair or not, it's still true. I was born into America. And because of that, there are certainly benefits of being a U.S. citizen and there are some consequences. Right? For example, one of the consequences, um, I think, of being born in the United States of America is like most of you, I just grew up only knowing how to speak one language. Right? And, and so you go pretty much anywhere else in the world, most other people know how to speak more than one language. For example, our missional community right now is ministering to some Ethiopian refugees that have been placed here in, in Paragould. And the mom and the boys, they speak like three or four languages. And as amazed that we are that they can speak three or four languages, they're amazed that we can only speak one language. And because we're from Arkansas, we don't even speak that real well, right? <laughs> and, and, and obviously, there's tons of benefits of being in the United States, but here's just my point. What the New Testament tells us is that when we are born, we are born into the nation of sin. We are born 
as a sinful people and a sinful nation. And listen, whether you think that is fair or not, it absolutely is true. We are born into a nation of sin, and that nation, the Bible says, has waged war against a holy and triune God. And there's a lot of different verses that I could point to to kind of drive this home. I want to read a few. Don't try to uh, keep up. Just look on the screen with me. Here's one, Romans 5, verse 12. It says, Therefore... Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, which by the way, anytime there is sin, sin always leads to death. May be good for a season, but it will always, in one way, shape, or form, lead to either an emotional death, a relational death, or a physical death. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, speaking of Adam, and death through sin, look at this, so now death has spread to how many men? All Men, because how many have sinned? All have sinned. Um, let me turn to another passage, Ephesians uh, chapter 2. Many of you are familiar with this. Um, we've taught on this before. Um, Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1, Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses of sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power, or prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, and hang on to that word flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, were by nature, look at this, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What Paul just said there is literally, when you were born, you were born with a natural bend towards the flesh. And that may not seem like a big deal to you, but as you read in Romans 8, 7, it is a huge deal. Because in Romans chapter 8, verse 7, listen what Paul says here. He says, for the mind that is set on flesh. And how many of us have minds that are set on the flesh by birth? All of us, according to Ephesians. Romans 8, 7, for... It says in here, the mind that is set on the flesh is what? Hostile to God. Hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. And then look at this. Indeed, it cannot submit to God's law. When we were born, we were all born with a heart that was bent towards our flesh, more towards God. And literally, what that means here is by birth, according to Romans 8, 7, you're not neutral towards God. You're not just apathetic towards God. You are hostile towards God. And you cannot, no matter how hard you try within yourself, please him. That's what the scripture says. And I know, listen, this is not a popular teaching. But according to the Bible that I read, and you can you know, check this for yourself as always. Hey, I could be an heir whenever I teach. So don't just take my word for it. Dive into the scriptures yourself. You, you know, try to learn and discern what the Spirit's teaching you. But from what I read right here, you and I are born in a sinful nation of sinful people who by our sins have waged war against a holy and triune God. We are not at peace with God. We are at war with him. And listen, the whole reason we celebrate Christmas is because Jesus came to end that war. Jesus came to this earth to take us from being citizens of a kingdom of corruption to being citizens of the kingdom of God. And again, there are a lot of verses we could look to on this. I'm just going to read uh, one. This is Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Paul says that he, speaking of what God has done for us through Christ, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom and to the nation of his beloved son in whom we now have the redemption of the forgiveness 
of sins. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have, and what's the word? Peace with God. Through what? What do we have peace with God with? Through our good works? Through holding up our end of the bargain? No, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What you need to understand today is all of us are born at war with God. But you can have peace with God. And peace with God, according to the scriptures, always begins with faith in Christ. Faith in the fact that he came and lived a perfect sinless life that we could never live. He died a death that we deserve to die. And he rose from the dead so that now we can have a relationship with God again. And, and Paul says, just to make sure I'm clear on this, and, and last passage I'll read on this, in Romans 5, 10 through 11, he says, For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Some of you come in here today and you thought to yourself, I kind of need some help from God. More than we need help from God, we need peace with God. Which means when it comes to your salvation, more than any of us need information, more than we need motivation, we need reconciliation. We need someone who can put us at right with God, and that is exactly what Jesus was born to do. The prophet Isaiah prophesied about this hundreds of years before Christ came in Isaiah 53, 5. And I almost feel like I need to apologize for reading so much scripture, which I know seems kind of weird. But Isaiah 53, 5, Isaiah says that we were, or that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says that God at the cross made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. At the cross, literally, Jesus took our sin so that we could get his righteousness. At the cross, Jesus took our loss so that we could get his victory. He took our death so that we could get his life. He took our conflict so that we can get his peace. And listen, guys, only whenever you begin, listen carefully, only whenever you begin to take everything that I just said into your heart, that you can now be made right before God by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Only whenever you begin to see that because of Jesus' work, you can be justified before God and you can look perfect and beautiful in his eyes. Only whenever you let this truth settle into the depths of your soul, only whenever that happens, listen to me, can you finally begin to grow in an enjoyment and peace with yourself. And here's what I mean by that. Um, I think I can explain it this way. How many of you in here have seen the movie Rocky One? See a show of hands. Good for you. Phenomenal movie. Okay, my wife begs to differ, but phenomenal movie. Rocky One. Okay, for those who raise your hands, you will remember that there was a scene in Rocky One the night before he fights Apollo. Rocky is anything but at peace. He's restless, he's anxious, he's walking around in the city. You know, he's got the biggest moment of his life coming up the next day. And after walking around, eventually he comes back to his little, I mean, it's a pitiful, broken down, small, like one-room apartment. And he lays in bed beside Adrian, his wife, in this little bitty twin-size bed. And, and, and she realizes something's wrong, so she kind of begins to rub his hair. And she's like, Rocky, what's going on? And here's what he says. He's laying, and he's kind of, you can just see him like looking off, and he says, 
You know, Adrian, it doesn't matter if I lose this fight. He said, it doesn't matter if Apollo splits my head open. He says, all I want to do is go the distance because, listen, here's what Rocky says, because if I go the distance, if the bell rings and I'm still standing, I will know for the first time in my life that I'm not just a bum. And there it is. What Rocky is hitting on is the one thing I think that causes so many of us to experience inner peace. And it's this idea that though we look really good on the outside, on the inside, we all still feel like bums. Though we look good on the outside, on the inside, when you think about the way you talk to yourself, we are self-critical. We feel like failures. We feel like letdowns. We carry shame because we have not lived up to these unrealistic expectations that we've set for ourselves. And because we often don't want to face the pain that we are experiencing, we will try to numb ourselves with things like working more than we should or with stuff like Netflix or social media. Which, by the way, let me just time out, side note, let me just say this. We've talked about it before, but it's worth saying again. When you're struggling with anxiety... When you're struggling with feeling like you're not good enough, the worst thing you can do is go and look at social media. Just so you know. Uh, because what happens when you're scrolling through Facebook or Instagram? You're looking at pictures of people who appear to eat perfect food in their perfect house with their perfect little family and their perfect little life. And what you do is whenever you look at this, is you tend to, to, to compare what you know about yourself, which is that you're imperfect, with what you don't know about them, which is that they're also imperfect, which makes you just feel worse. And then what we try to do is we try to project an image. We filter, we, 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 we try to angle things just right, where we will project a picture of ourselves, of what we want people to perceive of us, even though we know that that's not really true, which creates even more internal conflict inside of us. And and again, listen, like if this is where you are today, I don't want you to feel any extra sense of guilt or shame. But listen, what you have to hear today is if you want peace with yourself, like true peace with who you are, what you need to understand is according to the scriptures, the peace you are looking for is not achieved, but it's received. And what I mean by that is in John 14, 27, you don't have to turn there. But in John 14, 27, Jesus says to his disciples that, hey, after I come and I accomplish everything that I've set out to accomplish through my life and my death and my resurrection, listen to this. This is a promise from Jesus. You ready? Jesus says, I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. And when you receive my spirit, in John 14, 27, Jesus says, you will receive my peace. The reason this is so important, guys, today is because I think for many of us in here, we are working so hard to just prove to everybody, mainly ourselves, that we're not really a bum. We're working so hard to meet expectations that we have put on ourselves to be better than we really are. We we put so many expectations on ourselves to be better parents, to be a better spouse, to be a better employee, to be a better friend, to be a better Christian. And as a result of this, many of us are wearing ourselves out, trying harder to be better just so that we can prove our self-worth. And if that's where you are, you need to remember today that peace is not achieved. It's received. And how is it received? It's received whenever you choose to step into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he says in John 14, 27. Peace is received whenever you give your life to Christ. 
And you realize that when you give your life to him, that literally, he says, through his spirit, he will place his life inside of you. And therefore, when you learn to abide in the Holy Spirit, when you walk aware of the presence of God, that Christ is with you, the promise we have is even in the messiest and the darkest moments of life, you can be filled with the love of Christ, and then, and only then, can peace begin to be born into your life. This is the great news of Christmas, that Jesus was born so that we can have a peace with God that paves the way to us having peace with ourselves. But it gets even better than that because, as we said earlier in our definition, not only did Christ come so we can have peace with God that leads to peace with ourselves, but also it paves the way and equips us to have peace with others. The reason this is important is because at Christmas time, many of you are going to be confronted with family that you have a hard time getting along with. For some of you, when you think about Christmas, you think of the awkward and painful relationships that you have with your family. And for some of you, this pain is very old. For others, maybe this pain is very new. But in both cases, whether your pain is old or new, the key to making peace is remembering what all God went through to make peace with you. And I can't think of any verse that is more powerful in, in declaring this in Ephesians four thirty-one through 32, where Paul says this, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. If you are in here today and you have conflict with somebody else in your life, there's bitterness, there's anger, there's resentment, Here's the key. You need to believe that God has made peace with you despite your sin against him. So that you can then make peace with others despite their sin against you. And listen, I know this is hard. Sometimes when we seek to make peace, you know what happens? It's thrown right back in our face. Just like it was to Jesus on the cross. And I know that whenever that happens, it hurts and it's scary. But listen, if we will... Fellowship, if we will be a people who will keep meditating on the fact that God has forgiven us of our wrongs against him, more than we meditate on the other people's wrongs against us, what will happen is over time, listen, our hearts will be filled with the love of Christ, and we will begin to experience this peace with God that gives way to peace with ourselves and equips us to make peace with others. And so here's my question this morning as we kind of begin to come to a close. I know I'm in front of a crowd right now, and it's easy to hide out. But just imagine, it's just you and me. Have you made peace with God? This is the greatest question that you can never answer. This is first and foremost. Have you admitted that you are a sinner? And that you weren't just kind of flippant with God, but that you've actually been an enemy to God. Have you come to a place in your life where you realize that every time that you sin against him, that literally it's like you're just flashing the finger at God? Have you come to a place where you realize that even on your best days, that you still are deserving of hell? Because as it says in Isaiah, our righteousness is still as a filthy rag before God. And have you, as you've thought about that, come to a place of brokenness where, honestly, your heart's been broken over that. You're not flipping about that. You mourn that. 
And you've taken that to God and you said, I recognize I deserve hell, but I recognize that you came and you gave me the very thing I don't deserve by giving me your own life so that I can have salvation because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And if you turn from trusting in yourself to trusting fully in Christ, have you made peace with God? If not, I just want to ask you, what's keeping you from making peace with him today? What's keeping you from taking that step? The truth is, what we see is no matter who you are or where you come from, you can have peace with God. But listen to me, guys, very carefully. You will not have peace with God in the next life if you do not make peace with him in this life. It says, on earth is peace to those who are pleased. You have to receive this peace right here and right now. And so listen, if you have not done that, you know what I want to do? I want to lead you to Christ right now. Would you give me the honor? Let me lead you to Jesus right now, some of you for the very first time. And, and in order to do that, listen, there's nothing, there's no magic formula of the prayer that you have to pray. You simply don't have to close your eyes or anything like that. You simply, in your heart, this is a heart posture, you need to recognize that one, you're a sinner, that you have made yourself an enemy against a holy God, and that if you do not trust in Jesus, you will one day suffer for all eternity the way he did for you on the cross because you rejected it. But then turning from trusting in yourself to trusting in Jesus Christ and saying, you know what, I don't have all my questions answered. I don't know how this all works. I'm still a mess, but you know what? I'm coming with all I am to all of you, and I'm trusting that you are enough. And if you do that for the first time of the day, I want to encourage you, come and talk to me. Talk with the pastors. Talk with someone you came with. We'd love to help you with next steps. For the majority of you in here, I know what you're thinking. I've already done that. In fact, some of you, because you grew up in church camps, you did it 50 times, right? Because you had the guy, it's like, are you sure that you're sure that you're sure? And it's like, is this guy a pirate or a pastor? It's like, I don't really know. Like, right? But it's like, like, yes, I'll pray it again to make sure. Like some of you have prayed. You, you feel like you've done this 150 times. And so for those of you that are in here right now and you're like, okay, I've done that. I've placed my faith in Christ. Here's my question for you. Are you still placing your faith in Christ? Because it's not about how you start, it's how you finish. And the way you know the Holy Spirit's in you is you finish well. So are you still placing faith in Christ? I'm not asking if you're perfect, but are you still seeking to walk in the light? Are you still taking risk for the glory of God? Are you still seeking to be obedient? Are you still saying, you know what, if God calls me to give to the church, I'm going to give to the church. Plain and simple, it's right there. If God calls me to go right, I'm going to go right. If he calls me to, oh, this is my left. If he calls me to go left, I'm going to go left. If he calls me to go right, I'm going to go right. He calls me to forgive, I'm going to forgive. He calls me to walk across the street and go and talk to my neighbor, I'm going to walk across the street and go. I mean, are we seeking to do this? For those who's like, yeah, I've already placed my faith in Christ, are you still trusting him? Are you still placing your faith in him? Here's, another, here's maybe a better way of asking it. Are you still cherishing Jesus? Are you still enjoying Jesus? Are you still meditating on who God is and what he's done for you in Christ? Or is it possible that the cares of this world have slowly choked that joy out of you? I was reading this past week in 1 Peter 1.12. You know what it says about angels? You know what angels like to spend their time doing, according to 1 Peter 1.12? You can look this up later. You know what they like to do? They just like to stare into the gospel. It says literally in 1 Peter 1.12 that angels long to look into the gospel. 
You know how convicting that is for me? Angels are wiser than us. They're richer than us. They're more beautiful than us. And yet they spend their time relentlessly looking into the gospel. Relentlessly looking into who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. I mean, the gospel is the wonder of their lives. They have not like looked at it. I mean, they, they've been looking at it for ye- hundreds and hundreds of years, and they still can't stop thinking about it. Is the same true for you? Do you still find yourself amazed by what God has done for you, Christian? Or is the Christmas story old news? Does it still gain your attention? Is it still a wonder in your lives, or have you moved on to something else? I think at this time every year, man, as Americans, we are filled with so much gazing because of marketing and advertising, there are always things in our life that we feel like, man, if we could just have this, right? If we could get something bigger or better or newer, then my life would be complete. And listen, if you've fallen asleep, just wake up for this last part. We're almost done, I promise. What you need to realize today is, listen, there is a major connection. There is a major connection to what we gaze at and what we worry about. If you are gazing into and looking into something that is not dependable, if that's your ultimate source of hope, if that's the thing you're looking to for your ultimate source of joy, something that's here today or gone tomorrow, something that can betray you or cheat on you or, 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 or let you down or die, of course your heart's going to be filled with anxiety. Of course it's going to be filled with stress. And I could give you example after example from my own life, guys. I'm not like speaking this sermon as someone who's arrived, but, but, but one example I have is whenever my daughter Nora was born, my very first child, I'm ashamed to say this, but like for the first three weeks, I literally thought my life was over. I really did. I was like, I, I mean, she could not do anything without me being like, oh my God, like, is she going to die? And my wife's like, she's just yawning. I was like, are you sure it was like gasping, you know? And I remember just thinking, like, my whole life, I will never be able to have another conversation with another human being without my brain being filled with anxiety over this child. Anybody ever been there? I thought my life was over. I'd never have joy again. And, and, and here's what had happened in that moment. Listen, as we have to get this, what had happened, the reason my daughter had filled me with so much anxiety is because I had taken a gift from God and tried to make the gift my God. I had stopped looking to the one who had given me the gift as my ultimate source of joy, and I began to look to this child, this creation, thinking she was my ultimate source of joy, and that if she died, I wouldn't survive. But it was only whenever I began to look to God as the ultimate source of my joy could I then begin to realize that if my child died, however long God wants to to give me this child that's on loan from me, though it would hurt me if she died, it would not crush me. And as I continued to look to God and continued to focus on who he is and what he has done for me, here's what began to happen, is worry slowly began to be replaced with worship. Fear began to slowly be replaced with faith, and panic was replaced with peace. This past week, I started thinking about the Charlie Brown Christmas special. I'd say it's probably, I'd say top five Christmas movie. Um, I'd never noticed this before until this past week. And some of you, if you've seen the Charlie Brown Christmas special, maybe you've seen this before. I'm a slow learner, if you haven't noticed yet. But there's a scene in the Charlie Brown Christmas special where Linus tells Charlie Brown, he says, I know what Christmas is all about. 
And if you know who Linus is, Linus is the one who's always carrying his security blanket, right? And everyone's making fun of him for it. Like, man, drop the blanket, right? But he always has to have his security blanket with him. And eventually, in this scene, Linus goes to Charlie Brown and says, I know what Christmas is all about. And then what does Linus do? He goes to the middle of the stage and he begins to quote the passage we just read, Luke chapter 2. And in the middle of quoting Luke 2, for the very first time in the show's history, Linus drops his blanket. And I'd never noticed this before, but he drops his blanket whenever he quotes verse 10, which is when the angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And I think what Charles Schultz was doing here is, I think honestly he wanted to do something that was so simple and yet so brilliant. Here's what he wanted us to see, and we'll end here today. He wants us to see, and what God wants us to see is the truth is when you take this Christmas story to heart, when it goes from here to here, when you begin to believe what this has said, you will realize the birth of Jesus really does separate us from our fears. What you will see is that the Christmas story really does allow us to drop our false securities that we have been grasping for and cling to Jesus. The one who alone can give us the ultimate peace with God that paves the way for peace with ourselves and equips us to make peace with others.